People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk family with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. Join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on our website to hear us three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And also follow us on Facebook. And if you want to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our soon-to-launch YouTube channel, and now on with this week's show. Hello and welcome, family, to another edition of The Brothers Talk. If this is your first time joining us, then we want you to know that our mission is always about lifting up Black love, supporting Black businesses, and encouraging critical thinking. We're one of the few remaining stations for intelligent discourse, and we're extremely grateful to those of you who've been spreading the word, and we hope you continue to do so, not just for our benefit, but because the reward for you is to have more people to have conversations of substance with. If you're listening, it's because you often find yourself tired of trite conversations that don't require you to use much of your brain. You know the type we mean. You can totally zone out of whoever's talking and come back in after a few minutes and pick right up without having missed a thing. That's the unfortunate truth that life in general has become like the reality shows that we refuse to watch, but where you can literally miss a whole bunch of episodes, tune back in, and not have missed anything whatsoever. So we promise never to do that if we can help it, and we can. So in the meantime, let's focus on getting everybody vaccinated, and if you're eligible, get the booster. And if you can now buy now, get any of the three approved vaccines as a booster. I got the Pfizer all three times myself, but I would have taken any of the three if it were available, because there's been some talk that makes sense to me that mixing doses could possibly give even greater protection. It's still a very deadly disease to be avoided. And the vaccines can even keep you out of the hospital if you do get it, unless you have underlying conditions. So let's keep the train moving toward herd immunity. Finally, a quick program note about our 100th special show that will drop on Friday, December 17th, God willing. We're planning something extra special for our 100th chapter, so stay tuned for more details. And Norm is on assignment this week, so uh, to my brother in the struggle, Scott. Hey, family. Thanks, as always, for for your continued support. And um, I want to kind of follow up on what Rod was talking about in terms of the, uh, the vaccine. Uh, there, there appears to be a different path here right now. Right now, you got some people saying we're in the final stages and you don't have to wear masks and, and that whole thing. And they're just picking up as things as normal. Then you got that group who are still in denial about, uh, about the vaccine. And then you got that group out there who, who putting out misinformation. But the thing that's more concerning to me is and, and it's confusing to people. On, on one hand, you're saying that the we're doing better, but in the on the other hand, there's another uh, you know the virus, you know it, it's it's mutating again. So there's another mutation and a possible possibility of another wave. So let's be di- do uh, do our due diligence, protect ourselves, and protect our loved ones, right? So this week, we're sharing our thoughts on the two most visible trials in the country, the Rittenhouse trial for murder in Wisconsin and the three killers of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. 
there's so much to unpack here that exposes the racism in the country and especially the legal system. So let's take them individually. The uh, backdrop on the Rittenhouse trial is last year, this 17-year-old white boy illegally obtained an assault rifle in Minnesota, goes to Wisconsin because he's against the Black Lives Matter protesters in the wake of the George Floyd murder, and he kills two people and seriously wounds another. So he's charged with six counts, including first-degree murder and attempted murder and several other charges related to the gun. So before the trial even begins, the judge said that the prosecution couldn't refer to those shot as victims because that's too prejudicial, but the defense could call them arsonists and looters. The media keeps saying that if they are, he's guilty of these crimes that he's been charged with, as if it's not an accepted fact that he did kill two people and wound another. So it's like, what, what's this about saying if he's guilty of the crimes? We know, yeah, he hadn't been convicted, but they just gloss over the fact that it's already known. There is not a doubt that he killed two people and shot somebody else. And then you got a judge that's bending over backwards to make himself the center of attention. And to me, that's what I think he's doing so that the attention doesn't stay focused on Rittenhouse. So the more people are talking about the judge and the more the jury is focused on the judge, are they really focused on the facts surrounding the case? So it's just a bunch of junk that's just exposing like, you know, a racist judge, a racist system, and like they're paving the way to let this racist white boy get off. You know, uh, there are so many things in this particular case that's uh, wrong, that's just done, done wrong in terms of the rule of law. Uh, one of the things that and I hope most, most folks in the country are looking at is here you have this white boy who left his home uh, in one state, drove to another state, and killed two people, and uh, two unarmed people. And, and what we have here is, on one hand, you have people who want wanted him to get want him to get the same kind of justice as anybody else who does what he did, and then you have this group who've actually raised a bunch of money for him so that he can get this very expensive defense team uh, to, to help him get out of prison. And then you got the, uh, to prevent him from going to prison. Then you got the judge who's obviously showing favoritism towards him and, 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 and his uh, defense team. Uh, it, it, it just shows you how the criminal justice system, how unfair the criminal justice system is in this country. And then you even have, there's a rumor out there. I mean, I don't know how true it is, so I certainly want to hope somebody digs into it. But they're even saying that the judge has some relationship to the person who posted Rittenhouse's bond. So, you know, so you got like just all these kinds of conflicts of interest. And you, as you said, they've got so many people out there who are raising this money to help with his defense, just like they were doing with like the Zimmerman trial. And so it's just like this case is filled already with this misconduct on the part of the judge. And now the last thing that was out there was the defense was asking for uh, the charges to be dismissed because the prosecutor was asking questions about the political leanings of the guy who was the video videographer, you know, the guy who supplied the videotape and is proof that he actually 
is a far right sympathizer, that he actually has written articles in support of Kyle Rittenhouse, but the judge was cutting off the 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 prosecution, saying that that didn't have any relevance and wasn't going to turn into a political trial when that's all this really is is a political trial. Exactly, that's what it is. Uh, like I said in the beginning, there are so many things that was that were done here that was wrong and unethical. Even uh, when Rittenhouse shot those people, policemen saw him with an assault rifle and basically just turned that back to ignore him. No questions asked or anything. And they could have prevented that, but uh, but they didn't. So we got a situation here where it appears that if you're on the right, if you're right-leaning or you're Republican or whatever, the rule of law just does not apply to you. And that's what you're, that's what that appears to be, they appear to be saying. And we can see that with uh, the January 6th commission where they're, they're calling, they're subpoenaing all these people who were part of the previous administration and a lot of them are just storming their noses up at the subpoenas. And so this to me is a large, a part of the larger problem where there are a certain group of people who think that the rule of law just doesn't apply to them. And I'm glad you brought that up about him being out there amongst the cops because you clearly see in the video that he's walking toward them with this assault rifle strapped around him. And even though he has his hands up, you know, they don't attempt to stop him. They don't attempt to question him. They don't even uh, attempt to, to, to identify him. They just let him walk along and they actually end up on the video giving him a bottle of water. And so, you know, you got just a, a travesty when it, because we know that if any black person had been out there holding a camera in their hands, they could have been shot dead on the spot in all likelihood. You know, we'd have a different kind of a situation going on now where they'd be trying to prove that they were in fear for their life because they couldn't tell that the camera wasn't a gun because we got a number of those cases that we've seen across the country. And so then you got the trial of the murderers of, of Ahmaud Aubrey, where this young black man was just out jogging, you know, stopped in for a look around a house that was under construction, didn't take anything, did like a lot of other people had done because the owner of the house under construction had cameras there because he had seen a couple, a white couple, a male and a female who had actually gone in there and taken some stuff, but there had been a number of people who had gone in there, including other blacks had never taken anything, just did what people will normally do when they see something under construction, just take a look around. And then Aubrey was on his way, but he was then stopped and accosted and assaulted and then ultimately killed by the three man white mob for being suspicious because they thought it was wrong for him to be jogging around in that neighborhood. And so that's the backdrop. And so what do you get? You get the first thing that makes you scratch your head is they're trying all three of these defendants together, which might sound like a good idea at first, but then you realize that each of these defendants has two lawyers. So right there, that's nine people at the defense table. So each witness, you got a possibility of six objections. You got a possibility of objections, two objections, 
from just the defense team alone. And so you got to ask yourself, like, you know, why create this kind of confusion in a trial that you already struck so many black jurors? You got one potential black juror in the pool because they struck the other 11. There were 12 out of the 36. And so you only got one black potential juror in there. And I say potential because he's just in the pool of 17 that they will select the 12 from. So he may not be anything other than an alternate. And even if he does get selected, I certainly would have to raise my eyebrows at why one black out of the 12 would be acceptable. So I'd wonder about him in, in the uh, first place, but you know, it's just another situation where you can just look at the, the consummate amount of racism that goes on in, in the judicial system. That's just reflective of the rest of the country. Uh, yeah, with the the amount of racism here is, is just striking. Um, what I see here in both cases, it, it, it really shows everybody what it's like to have what white privilege really is. So you have a situation where this guy was 17, Rittenhouse, who was 17 years old when he killed two unarmed people in Kenosha. And, and there are people who are actually protecting him and celebrating him for, for, and wanting him to be a martyr for doing that, you know, paying for him to get out of prison, paying for his defense turn, uh, team. Well, it's the same thing here in, um, in, in Brunswick. These guys who actually killed Aubrey, people raised money for the, uh, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably into the millions, for their defense, for killing somebody. So you have a situation where if you're white and you kill somebody black or you kill somebody who doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, we know what, we'll raise money in for to get you the best defense team that we possibly can get you, even though you're a murderer. You know, and, and, and it seemed, this seemed to be a theme, like with uh, Trayvon Martin, you got a situation with, with Zimmerman. He murders Trayvon Martin. People run to his defense and raise all this money so he can get the best defense he can have for murdering somebody. And I, I'm just saying, I'm saying all this to say that right now it, it appears that in this country that uh, if you're white, you can actually get away with murder and everybody can see that you murdered somebody, but because you're white, we're going to bend the rules and make up all kinds of excuses for you. Yeah. You know, and just going back to that first point on the, I have to go back to the Rittenhouse trial. Cause I, I just boggles the mind that anybody would accept the idea that you can't call two people who were killed and another who was seriously wounded victims but you can call them arsonists and looters. And the judge is going to say that the word victim is charged and, and highly prejudicial, but you, you don't have any evidence that these people who were the black lives matter protesters, that they set anything on fire or that they stole anything, but you're going to allow their character to be maligned is if to say, well, that's okay for him to shoot them because they were arsonists and looters. And just watching how he interacts with 
Rittenhouse in there. You know, when Rittenhouse was pretending those crocodile tears to cry on the stand, uh, the judge decides to hand him a bottle of water. I mean, when do you ever see anything like that? And asking him, you know, well, uh, do you fully understand my instructions here? And, you know, but yet he's going to show his outrage against the prosecution team because he thinks they're trying to, to pull a fast one on him. And as I said, he's making himself out to be the center of attention. And the only person that could possibly be good for is for Rittenhouse. Oh, yeah. Um, what you got here is the criminal justice system on display. Uh, like you said, with Rittenhouse, you got the judge who's clearly showing uh, he, he can't be impartial, that he's showing that he, you know, he's favoring the defense of Rittenhouse, and they're treating him like here, he's an innocent little kid, who, you know, he's a five-year-old, he didn't know what he was doing, you know, that's how they're treating this guy. Uh, and then in the Lamont Aubrey case, you have a situation where Brunswick is 55% Black, that area, 55% black, and you can only get one black jeweler. And what this is doing is exposing what's been going on in the South, not just in the South, across the country, where they stack the jury with non-black jewelers uh, to so that they can uh, basically acquit white people of crimes. That went on a lot, not as much as it did in the 50s and the 60s, but it's still happening. And that's our criminal justice system at work. Yep. And of course, you said it earlier, the biggest travesty is that you still have these other trials going around around the country with literally hundreds, if not thousands of defendants from an act of treason on January 6th. And every black person in this country knows that if any kind of action like that had ever featured any black people, they would have been blood all over the steps of the Capitol and all over the grounds because they would have just unloaded. And so the racism is so insidious that even those whose lives were in danger, the, those who's sworn to protect and serve, they couldn't bring themselves to defend their own lives against guys who were coming in with every kind of weapon imaginable and bear spray and mace and pepper spray. So they literally were allowing themselves to be overrun when, to my mind, if you fire even some guns in the air, that mob backs up. But they never did that because they just assume that, well, we can't do that to these white people, but we know that even a single black person, because we've got examples of it, like the sister who turned around down there at the, at the, the White House that time, and they chased her down and killed her without any provocation but you had literally thousands of people storming the capitol and you really only had the one person that they shot and that was a secret service per or a person who shot that woman for trying to break through that window but it just goes to show you just how deeply insidious racism is in this country the the, the way that we're looking at the way that we look been looking at racism i think we have to take a much harder look at uh, racism. And you have people trying to say that, you know, things have got better. Of course, they've gotten a little better, but it's still, and then you have people say that, oh, well, you always want to bring up race. Everything is all about race. 
race trumps everything. And in, in these cases, if you can't see that race, you have a situation, I, I know there are different states, but um, you'd have a situation, I think it was in Mississippi, where this guy has been, it was Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, one of those southern states, where this guy had been in prison for over 30 years or something like that. And the DA said that he was not guilty. Also, the person who actually put him in prison rescinded her statement. You have all these, all this evidence, but yet the governor will not go on and give him a pardon. Whereas here you got some other got some guys who are white who are clearly guilty of murder. All the evidence, there's nothing to show anything different. And they're fighting tooth and nails everything that they possibly can to come to aid these two guys who are actually murderers. I mean, it just, and, 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 and the other thing too about this is how it seems like the, most of the country, they're just norm to this. They're just appear to be okay with it because there should be outrage of what's going on in both those cases. There should be outrage in Kenosha, the way that that judge is behaving uh, citizens should be outraged because it could be one of them. And the same thing in Brunswick. You know, people should already be in the street and say, no, 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 no. We're not going to have a, a trial where there's only one black person on the jury and, and the area is 55% black. Where's the public outrage? Exactly. And so that's it. I mean, that's our opinion. What's yours? By all means, hit us up. Let us know what your thoughts are, because as we said in the beginning, we're all about trying to just promote the idea of critical thinking in a way that says you've got to have feelings and you've got to have thought through on some of these issues because they do directly impact us. And so we want to know what you think about it as well. So hit us up, let us know. In our positive Black business experience of the week, we want to give a shout out and kudos to April Ross. She's an HBCU graduate of Alabama State University, who's now the owner of WJCN TV 33, located in LaGrange, Georgia. And what's so great about this is that she was an intern back in 2001, and that's before she graduated from Alabama State. And now she's gone on to put herself in a position to where she has bought the station. So obviously, anytime we're in a place to influence media because we own pathways like TV and radio station, that's a great thing. So kudos to April Ross. So that's it for another edition of the Brothers Talk. And thank you. Remember to join us on follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And as we said earlier, if you want to share in more long form with us with feedback, then give us your suggestions, questions, or show ideas. You can hit us up at the email, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. That's a wrap for another episode. And as always, we appreciate your time and interest, and we'll never take it for granted. Neither will we take you for granted. So until the next time, let's do better today, because that's all we really have. <laughs>